Hello and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing The Old Guard, The Sorcerer of the Will Deeps by Kaya Shanti Wilson, and The God of Scraped Knees by SPQR. And welcome to episode 68, Who Wants to Live Forever? We're gonna fucking get through this. I'm Alex, and I'm the god of minor conveniences. I'm Freya, and I'm the god of blackboard specials. I'm Macy, and I am the god of scribbled margins. We are three redheaded fantasy authors. And it is Sunday night for me, Monday morning for Freya. Uh, we just got done with Worldcon and our brains are fried. So this is going to be Darling a fun listeners, episode. Dear imagine listeners. the animal-shaped balloons that you get at birthday parties, like two days after the birthday party. <laughs> That's us right now. Yes, yes, correct. I was like, where are you going with this analogy? But then I was on yeah, board with it. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Um, theoretically, we're talking about gods and immortals and demigods today, which should be fun if we can get our brains in order. But before we get into all that, what are we reading, fellow serpents? So in between all of the world conning, I have read a few books. Of course. I just finished the second book in Olivia Waite's FF historical romance series. This one is called The Care and Feeding of Waspish Widows. And it is a love story between an engraver and a beekeeper. And it contains almost more information than you ever knew you needed about the history of beehives (laughs) and the state of beekeeping technology at this point in the past. But it also has a lot to do with the politics of England at the time and how that intersected with the lives of people living in villages. It's beautifully researched. It's really well written. It has a very nice slow burn romance. Definitely recommend that if you want something to just soothe your brain and then fill it with bees. But does the author know that wasps and bees are different? Yes. Good, good. It is extremely well researched on a bee level. (laughs) And the title is in... Anyway, it's fine. It's a joke. It's a No, no, there is is a plot relevant thing to do with somebody, a widow and a wasp. It's all right. Trust (laughs) Olivia Waite. She knows what she's doing. I will trust in Olivia Waite. (laughs) So mote it be. I also read one of the novellas by Kate Hartfield in the Alice Payne series. The first one is called Alice Payne Arrives. It is about time travel and ladies in love with other ladies and a dashing lady highwayman. Yes! It's great. It's got some really cool, chewy time travel stuff in it. And there's a second book in the series, which I also have, and I'm really excited to start that one. And finally, I read Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. I wasn't quite sure what to expect because I didn't know how genre this book is. It has a very literary cover. Uh, It's been marketed as fairly commercial as well as genre. It is a genre book. It is Jane Eyre crossed with Annihilation. Macy, you will have an amazing time with this book. I expected that I would, and I'm very looking forward to it. Yes. On the base level, it is about a young socialite in Mexico in the 1950s who has to go to a mysterious house full of a strange and forbidding family because her cousin has married into the family and has sent a very concerning and rambling letter that has made them worry for her safety and or her mental state. So (laughs) Noemi, the heroine, goes off to find out what is happening and gets embroiled in the gothicness of it all. And there's fungus. (laughs) (laughs) And there's fungus, she adds, knowing that this is the clincher for Macy. (laughs) 
I mean, I was already very much looking forward to reading this book. Uh, but then fungus. <laughs> fungus is pretty cool. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Macy, what have you been doing? Oh, my gosh. Uh, okay. What have I been doing? Um, what is time? Yes. What is the meaning of days? So, darling listeners, I'm very English and I'm very bad at temperatures and it got above 95 degrees here in the past week and I don't technically have air conditioning. So I've been melting. Mm-hmm. Um, but in between melting, I managed to read Fire issue 15, uh, which is a speculative magazine of black fiction. And it was such a good, um, I want to say episode, but that's incorrect, issue. It was such a good issue full of really meaty thoughts about identity and possession of bodies and grief and like the afterlife uh, across four stories. So that's a great read. And I also read a middle grade novel by T. Kingfisher called Summer in Orcus, which was a kind of portal fantasy, but the main character was a somewhat nervous young girl whose superpower was soothing people. Interesting. Mm. It was super cool. And there were lots of dapper talking animals and like corruption at the heart of the magic. Um, It was great. Wonderful. Dear listeners, I have only one thing to tell you about this week. (laughs) Yes, you do. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. I have been telling literally anyone who will stay still long enough for me to catch them about this thing. And some who won't. (laughs) <laughs> and some who won't. Uh, I have chased several people down, uh, like a cheetah on the savannah. Um, <laughs> Alex, we know what Alex's party balloon is. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this thing, as you as you know, dear listeners, if you have been listening to the last couple episodes, I've been working on many fiber arts, including an epic quilt project. Yep. And when Alex does fiber arts, that means Alex listens to things. And I put out a call saying, what are your favorite uh, fiction podcasts uh, mm. to people? Because I really want to listen to more fiction podcasts. Uh, and someone recommended to me Campaign Skyjacks, uh, which is a live play tabletop RPG game similar to The Adventure Zone. Uh, and it's about fantasy airship pirates and it's so funny and extremely queer, and it has a world-building setting that's based on the music of the Decemberists. And it is, like, the the chemistry at the table is just off the charts. The character dynamics are incredible. I cannot recommend this highly enough. I binged through, like, 38 episodes in the space of, like, five <laughs> days. And then Worldcon <laughs> happened, and I could, like, only focus on Worldcon. Um, it's incredibly good. I highly recommend it. Please listen to this. Uh, that's the only thing that I have consumed other than Worldcon. Yep. Okay. But speaking of Worldcon, we wanted to offer our largest of congratulations to... (laughs) Okay. (laughs) You okay? You okay? Macy Macy is not okay. Macy is dropping tea on herself because that's just where we at today. Yeah. So speaking of Worldcon, we wanted to offer all of our congratulations to Annalie Newitz and Charlie Jane Anders for the best fan cast this year for Our Opinions Are Correct, which if you like this podcast, you should also go check them out because I hear they have even more episodes and you can listen to them and they say other things than we do. And that's exciting. That's incredible. (laughs) Because you can only re-listen to the uh, terrible um, Witches episode so many times. Where am I going with this? <laughs> what is happening? Uh, this is, I'm saving you from yourself, Macy. Please, it's okay. Please this take is, the microphone away. 
I'm taking the microphone away from you. It's okay. Uh, this is uh, Annalie Newitz and Charlie Jane Anders' second year running for Best Fan Cast, and we are so thrilled that they won. Uh, it was an really amazing queer. slate this year. Honestly, like if anyone had won, we would have been happy because all of the nominees were incredible. But Charlie Jane and Annalie are like so nice, and they're doing incredible work. So congratulations to them. And I also wanted to mention because there was some little confusion in the ceremony it's also our first year with a booktuber on the slate so congratulations to Claire Rousseau for her very first nomination and we were very excited to have you there with us yes Yes. and you should definitely go and check out Claire Rousseau's YouTube channel I really enjoy her genre roundups and the videos she does about SFF books that she's looking forward to in the coming season and absolutely absolutely deserve to be on the ballot so go check her out for more excellent content and cool people yelling about stuff yes just yes. a really excellent ballot this year. I was so proud to, to be among these luminaries. Yes. Um, we also have one small little reminder for you, dear listeners. Yep. Uh, the episode 70 extravaganza is going to be recorded uh, two days from when this episode comes out. Uh, so that is August 28th. We usually record in the evening, my time, about 8 p.m. Eastern time. Mm-hmm. Um, so please do remember to submit your questions for us um, about topics that we've already covered. If you have some questions there... Or maybe just like some fun, easy ones. Like you don't have to ask us hard questions. You can ask us like... <laughs> yeah, some... given the state of our brains at the moment, we would really appreciate a few easy questions. Don't make us think. Ask us like fun bullshit stuff. <laughs> we love us some fun bullshit. And you we can do. send those questions to us by email, by Twitter, by Tumblr, by Discord, and by Pigeon. Not by Discord. <laughs> For the 17,000th time. You can send them to us by email, serpentcast at gmail.com, on Twitter, at serpentcast. On Tumblr, also at SerpentCast, that's it. (laughs) But if you did manage to find the luck pigeon... Okay, now Macy is like trying to flatter me by promoting my upcoming book, Finding Fairies, which comes out October 20th. You can tell that I've been at Worldcon this week. What if we have an episode? What if we did that? Fake news! So now that... I have cunningly let you guys do the news announcements. Oh god, I I can be the person who poses the question. (laughs) And Alex can answer it, because I have my finger on my nose first. All right. Let's define some terms, serpents. How are oh, we going to define an immortal or a demigod for the purposes of this episode? Okay. I was like, ep. I'm just, all I can do is read off the dot points. That's where my brain's at at the moment. So <laughs> if I hit some acronyms later on, this is going to be really fun. <laughs> it's yes. fine. We've got some MXTX, which is yes. Define some terms, please. <laughs> all right. I will, I will define some terms since this is a little bit in my wheelhouse as the uh, resident mythologist. Uh, so... Traditionally, a demigod is someone who is half god, half mortal, i.e. if Zeus comes down for some horny time with a human woman, which was, or a bush, or an object. A yeah. A swan. Let's, if Zeus really swan, puts the come in, come down. If, if, if Zeus puts his back into it. If Zeus ever puts his back into it and has a child with something of the something or someone of the mortal <laughs> realm, then the resulting child is a demigod and usually has like magical powers or some shit. Hercules is probably the most well-known example of this because he had a Disney movie, movie made um, after him. <laughs> About him. him. But for the purposes of this episode, we are specifically not talking about full gods. Right. um, Because we are, we have so many episodes and that might be one we want to do later. Correct. Um, But we're talking about um, 
immortals, long-lived beings, um, powerful beings who are maybe part god, part human, or part alien, part human, who mm-hmm. more or less live amongst us, who are part yeah. of the mortal realm. That's have- kind of our wheelhouse for today. Yeah, there has to be some kind of intersection between mortals and like this supernatural long-lived being right mm-hmm. like they have to have an element of uh human mortality to them in some sense macy is wriggling for some reason and it's very cute i don't know what it means but i'm trying very hard not to say like extra pasteurized milk uh it's like extra pasteurized <laughs> <laughs> what like like uht milk yeah like long you can shelf put it in life. your shelf yeah, yeah. okay so talking about long shelf life humans <laughs> not saying it but then you called on me and i couldn't i we wouldn't want you to be any other way my darling my love uh light of my eyes uh, shall we talk about some tentpoles please so alex you're going fir- to start us off i am going to start us off the first tentpole that we have is the god of scraped knees by spqr uh, and this is a Witcher fanfic. It is about uh, Yaskier, darling of my heart, the other love yep. of my life besides Macy and Freya. Um, <laughs> uh, about uh, Yaskier being a created demigod, like a yes. an order, an order of priests, uh, sort of made him, and he was born of a virgin, and he's like this ultra powerful sorcerer, and theor- the- theoretically lives forever. And sort of uh, invented magic. And sort of invented magic, maybe, and is like a total badass all of the time, always. Uh, and he can turn into trees, and he can do pretty <laughs> much fucking anything. Um, and it's kind of about, like, him drifting through the world and, like, how he becomes the person he is and, like, finally meeting Geralt. And because, of course, your serpents don't tentpole a fic unless it has kissing in it. Um, that's not true. <laughs> that's not true. We have a key, isn't it? I would have to go you through. Would have to do a survey. We've definitely done some gen. If we, yes, yes, um, and then he like tears down a mountain on uh, some people and averts a war, and it's cool. Uh, and yep. then he goes back to live in a little cottage with Geralt and Ciri, and has a cottage core lifestyle. <laughs> I think that's the thing I really loved about this fic was um, Yaskia's like foundational theme. That's not what I mean help words motive yaskia's thesis statement was that he wants to be small he wants to be protected right he wants he doesn't want to be a big powerful thing like he could be right he doesn't want to have supreme power Mm -hmm. he wants to heal scraped knees he wants to mend people's skirts he wants to be kind in small ways that make one of your days much better not change the world right and Mm. not like significantly change your life in the sense of like raising a beggar to a king mm. hmm. and i appreciated how the fic wove that through to show how this is an interpretation of yaskia that could fit with how he appears in mm-hmm. the tv show because it doesn't go mm-hmm. au in terms of events really no it, it says doesn't. this is a way in which you can have this magical power this demigod status existing alongside the slimy ridiculous bard yaskia that we see in the TV show, and I quite like there was just a throwaway sentence about why he kept the Jin's curse and let Geralt like ride him around looking for a cure, and he said it was out of a twisted sense of karma because in this fit, Gaskia feels very guilty about mm. the wiping out of a village. 
that was the his village, village. That, his village that he was doing the god of scraped knees thing for but then the priests who created him through having a god beget him on a mortal woman came and magically destroyed the village and he couldn't save them yeah and there's this niggling sense of guilt that then feeds into the way he presents himself and feeds into that desire to be small and have somebody else take the responsibility because it's it's this thesis of with great power comes great responsibility and he doesn't want the responsibility and right. therefore so like, doesn't want the, the power, power back. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I was doing during Worldcon is I had a magic systems panel and we were talking about how do you build a world where there are consequences for using magic so that magic doesn't get used all the time, doesn't change everything all of the time. Mm. And I think with this fic and some of our other tent poles with immortals, we're looking at the ways that personality affect that, right? That it's yes. not always a case like there is nothing stopping Yaskia from being God King of the world. Except that he doesn't want to. Except that he doesn't want to, which is, in my opinion, a fascinating story to tell. Yes, for sure. I mean, I am, as you know, Macy, I am fascinated by the I, by discussions about power and especially by characters who are not seduced by power because they realize mm. how complicated it can be and how having power makes it so easy to hurt other people. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think that that's... Like, I think that this fic has a, a that wonderful nuance to it, uh, where Yasker is really aware of, like, the harm that he could do in the pursuit of using his power. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that this fic illuminates is that quite often the birth of a demigod is God begetting on human woman. Yep. And I think the extent to which that is used in mythology probably has a lot to do with paternity anxiety let's be honest (laughs) yeah because you can tell who someone's mother is but you can't always be 100 percent sure about who the father was and you see that over and over again that it is often zeus who's doing the god half of things rather than a human man and a goddess Mm-hmm. And when I was turning this over and over in my mind, obviously thinking about that archetype of uh, someone being born without there being a clear father, mm-hmm. I wrote the dot point quite late at night, not quite awake. Is Anakin Midichlorian Skywalker a demigod? Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> what do we think? <laughs> I think no. It depends if you think that, like, the concept of the energy of the universe is a god. I think it probably is, if you put it in those terms. But, like, if we're looking at, like, the material proof of being a demigod, does he have the properties of a demigod? You know, like, does he? if you drop him, does he bounce? He doesn't no. have immortality, but I would argue, and this is based on my nebulous knowledge of the Star Wars universe, the whole point <laughs> of the whole midi-chlorians <laughs> bullshit was that he exerts an influence on the universe around him he has he is foretold to bring balance to the force so he is a demigod in an object sense and not in an active sense see i would just classify him as like a real powerful space wizard yeah, yeah. but there are other powerful but then space so yaskia you know well yes but that's yeah. the point he's not Anyway, I don't think any of us know nearly enough about Star Wars to have anyway, this sorry about that from yeah. the brain of Midnight Fire. We can continue <laughs> with the I was actually, what was I reading? I was reading recently an article about the development of the image of Mary 
um, mm. in like Christian mythos because mm-hmm. Mary as virgin was not a thing until a later pope started yelling about it. Like right. Jesus was meant to be Joseph's child, or at least certainly in the earlier texts or in the earlier interpretations of the texts, Jesus is a normal human baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the Immaculate Conception was a later legend. Um, well, the Immaculate to... Conception is about Mary's conception. Oh, sure. Sorry. The other one then. Yeah, yeah. The, whatever they call it. The Holy yes. Spirit coming to Mary. Yeah, the, 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 like, we can be, we can be Zeus as well, guys. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that... And the way you see it in, in uh, Christian paintings often looks a bit like some of the Zeus stuff in that there's just this the beam showers. of light <laughs> going towards <laughs> Mary's midsection. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah in a very golden shower kind of way. I'm going to yeah. astral project into her womb. This is fine. Um, <laughs> the, okay, by the way, my soul is leaving my body right now. I need to explain to the dear listeners what Macy and Freya mean by golden shower. There is a Greek legend where Zeus impregnates a woman by becoming like a shower of golden Gold coins. Yep. Yep. And that is what they are referring to. <laughs> And it just happens to also coincide with the the kink. Your kink is not my kink. You're valid. You're fine. Um, but Stop oh my god, hobbies. guys, you can't just like. Sp- <laughs> How many times do I have to tell you you can't just like spit in jokes all over the place and expect That's not everyone a to get them? In joke. That's Greek fucking mythology. It's That's okay. The outest not, of jokes. It's it's pretty obscure though amongst the Greek myths. I didn't Darling learn about it until I was on write Tumblr. To us if this is the first you've heard of golden showers, please do. <laughs> Write to, oh, write to us if it's the first you've heard about this particular Greek myth, Macy. Okay, I'm going to just drag Macy bodily onto a dot point that I know she will want to talk about. Please, Let's talk about please. the magic system in this particular oh. fic, because I think it is very heavy on the Metis type of magic, which is one of Macy's favorite things. Yes, yes. Um, one second, let me dab away my tears. Um, <laughs> take out of Freya. <laughs> uh, darling listeners, we, we really made some decisions in our scheduling choices this time. We really did. Uh, we were like, it'll be fine to record immediately after Worldcon. We'll Nothing bad will happen at the Hugo Awards. Everything will be sensible and run by professional human beings with we'll respect have for one another. Over. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so Metis magic. Now. So Metis. Okay. So Metis is a Greek concept of like... It's what Odysseus has. It's like cunning. It's like day-to-day knowledge, physical, like skilled knowledge that you build up with your body as well as your mind. Yeah. Right? You cannot get Metis out of a book. That's kind of the defining definition. Yeah, it's street smarts. It's kind of street smarts, but certainly the way that I'm using it in the context of James Scott's book, Seeing Like a State, it's street Mm. smarts, but it's also like, I know how to weave. I know how long to fry an onion for. It's doing practical things and learning from them and improving on yourself. And in this fic, Yaskier is kind of inventing magic as he goes along. Um, He's coming up with spells and the spells that he come up with work for other people afterwards, but he's trying stuff. He's playing with it. He's feeling his way through. Um, He ends up with a lot of dandelions springing up behind him every time he tries something new but uh, that's what you get if you're a demigod I guess. I like the sense that because we don't have an exact sense of scale in this mm-hmm. speak about time it's not to suggest that he just invents it off the fly one afternoon No, but that it, it takes him a long long time 
right. to work out the rules. So I want to compare the magic system there to the one in the next tent pole. Yes. Sure, let's move, move on to the next one. But first I want adulation for giving you guys a 9,000 word fic. Yes. We're very proud. Yes. Thank you, Macy. We were quite impressed. <laughs> Nine thousand words. Not even. Not even five digits. Four not digits. Even. But Freya, talk to us about the next one and magic. Excellent. So our next tentpole is a novella by Kaya Shanti Wilson called The Sorcerer of the Wildeeps, which I know I yelled about recently on an episode yes. and mm-hmm. have now yelled about to such an extent we have gotten it as a tentpole. <laughs> uh, you have succeeded. You have, have triumphed. Succeeded. <laughs> and this is a story about a demigod by the name of Damane, who is working as a mercenary, which is pre- and his group of mercenaries is protecting a caravan as it goes through the dangerous will deeps. That is a very yes. basic event level summary of the plot. But all of the really good stuff in this novella is to do with how language is used and the various different Mm. dialects that turn up and the way the story is put together and especially the world building. Mm. So the world building in this story is that gods used to live among people and they had almost like large families or clans where the gods would give the humans some gifts in their bloodlines and there Mm. would be different gifts and different talents depending on which god your clan is or depending on which god your clan is associated with Mm -hmm. and at a certain point in history the gods then decided to leave and turn into light and go away amongst the stars and if you had a certain level of power and then you were an angel and you could also turn your body into light and just bugger off amongst the stars (laughs) and everybody who couldn't do that was left in the world Mm -hmm. uh, and there are still these families that hold these powers from the gods. Mm -hmm. And there is a sense that even though this is a secondary world pre-industrial setting, these families have been grimly trying to hold on to knowledge and power that is of a much higher level Mm -hmm. and trying to pass it down and keep it alive amongst themselves. And obviously Damane comes from one of these and another man in his mercenary group, the captain, comes from a different one. So they are the two demigods in the story. I almost read the powerful beings as as much aliens as gods. That's how I read it. And their workings on the people within their care were kind of genetically engineering. Yes, there is this real sense of science fantasy whenever we descend into actual specifics about what the gods were and what they could do. And I read they turned into light as they got on spaceships and had faster than light travel. I don't. I no, think they literally did that. turn into light, though. That was that was like my assumption. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway, but anyway, I loved the that sense of mingling of science and much more nebulous magic in mm-hmm. this because the powers that Damane has as a demigod, like he has some basic increased strength, heightened senses, which you get the impression that all the demigods have those, but his powers specifically are in the realm of healing. Mm-hmm. Like he is, that's what his family's stuff is to do with. And also, you know, just incidentally, they can turn into these magical mythic beasts called stormbirds, which is <laughs> something that happens. And the captain's is a little bit less well known. Like it's not quite easy to tell from the text exactly what his family and his powers are, but he has this thing called the Vox Seraphica, 
<laughs> in that he cannot speak without singing. And he has right. all these different voices and all these different songs that come through in his voice. And they are how his powers manifest and what he can do. And also he has to keep his hair covered because it glows. <laughs> and there is a sense that he actually gets power by photosynthesis, yeah. which I love. Yes. <laughs> it's such a whole like world of weird and wonderfully genetically engineered organisms. And I think that the Will Deeps themselves kind of come along that theme, mm. right? Because this is also, of course, the prequel uh, to the other Kayashante Wilson novel- novella, which I think we've talked about here, right? Uh, the... Um, honey, a it? taste of honey. I don't think we've tempoled it. We've I never tempoled it. it, but I think but we've, we've mentioned it. I think. About yeah, it, yeah, which is also amazing. Mm. Mm. But the way that I, the way I like this one as put against um, the god of scraped knees because it also shows someone who has a lot of power whose role in the story is essentially trying to protect a group of humans. <laughs> That he really yes. likes, he thinks of them as his co-workers, his brothers, uh, but his level of knowledge is quite a bit higher than theirs. And so he keeps like acting as group mum and trying yep. to teach them hygiene and trying to yep. tell them why it's a bad idea to do drugs. But he can't explain it in words that they'll understand because his knowledge of it is on a much higher biological <laughs> level. Oh, <laughs> uh, it has big like dog attempting to herd geese energy. Yeah, like he and the captain are the group parents. And yep. they're just attempting to herd all of their friends around and keep them from not keep them from dying. Which I think is kind of a theme that we'll talk about later a little bit, but it's hard to have an immortal or a demigod not feel in some sense superior to the mortals around them, to the humans. And I think that that's a personality thing, right? To come across as like a caretaking with that superiority rather than patronizing. And yeah. I think it's something that would change over time, um, because Demane, I don't think, is terribly old, um, or at least I didn't he's get the impression. He's more than 100, I thought. Like, he's old by human terms, but not, like, ancient. Not mm. ancient, right. And so I think that that kind of superiority might be something that would, like, mm. develop mm-hmm. over time. Yeah. Um, and he's yeah. very he is very humanized in the story, because his motivations are very human. Mm-hmm. Like, to do his job, protect his friends, get paid, fuck a hot boy. Yeah, like yeah, that's big, and you know, Yaskia in the, in the story, similar thing. Just wants to live through his life. Maybe fuck Have a, a hot boy. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, I think he cares a little bit less about fucking a hot boy than like getting petted by the hot boy. That's yeah, true. He wants snuggles. <laughs> yeah, Yaskia wants snuggles. And I thought it was interesting that in both the fic and this one, the power dynamics in the relationship mm. were very carefully um, set out in that even though we have this very powerful being, the person they are in the relationship with is another very powerful being. Mm-hmm. Like a witcher mm-hmm. is also not necessarily immortal, but long lived, hard to kill. Right. Yeah. And in this one, the person he's in the relationship with is another demigod. And I right. thought that was quite a nice way of looking at not necessarily skirting around power dynamics, but admitting that if you are a demigod, you are yourself the result of a very uneven coupling. Yeah. Mm. And there would mm-hmm. be a power dynamic if you were to enter into a relationship with a normal mortal. But right. also, like, it's it's comfortable in a way to be in a relationship with someone who shares part of your life experience with you. Mm-hmm. And, like, being a very powerful person and having to be aware of that if you're in a relationship with someone who's also very powerful, it means that you can relax around them a little bit. You don't have to worry about accidentally steamrolling them. Um, Did you see how I very nicely have segued us towards the third temple? 
Yes. yes. <laughs> Macy. Well, sort of, right? Because the next tentpole, darling listeners, which all of us consumed in like two weeks after its launching, yeah. uh, is the next Charlize Theron is extremely gay and punches things movie, The Old a good, Guard. A good, good genre. It's a good, a good genre. genre. We have tentpoled one of these before. Um, two? Have we tentpoled Fury Road? Uh, I don't think we so. We did. We no, we haven't tentpoled Fury Road. We, we, we did, did Atomic Blonde. We did Atomic Blonde, yeah. So The Old Guard is a movie about a small band of immortals who kind of want to save the world, but also they aren't really any more powerful than just a human being who heals very fast. Mm. They don't have any superpowers. Uh, they're just really good at stabbing things, but only like in the sense that they've practiced it a lot. So they run around acting as mercenaries for hire, but only for good deeds. And they're starting to get a bit depressed about not really making much of a difference. Uh, spoilers, darling listeners, for The Old Guard, which you should watch <laughs> before you listen to this. Yes. Because it's good. Watch it without it is spoilers. very good. Watch yeah. it without spoilers. It's great. Have you gone? <laughs> okay, everyone who's left. Welcome back. Welcome back. Just How great was the old guard, guys? So good, right? right? <laughs> Thank you for oh. going and watching the old guard. <laughs> but at the heart of this film is the question of what they do when they, at the same time, are videotaped dying and coming back to life by an extremely shady pharmaceutical genius mm-hmm. who wishes to milk them for immortality, essentially. And also they adopt a baby at the same time a baby immortal a baby immortal and they promise that they will love her and feed her and and take care of her and protect and take her take her on walks and yeah. take her on walks and then she saves all of their asses because they are idiots and Niall is better than they are because Niall has not grown tired yes but also yeah. I get the sense that, you know, there's, these are some people who really want to save the world. They've been trying for ages and ages and ages, but at no time have any of them sat down with and come up with a strategic plan. Oh, God, no. They're just like, <laughs> we'll just keep hiring ourselves out to whoever seems like they're doing a good thing at the time with no attempt at high-level strategy. I'm hoping and that then Niall just like, has, like, some strategic thinking that she might bring Niall. to the group. Well, Niall just it, looks at them and gets tired. When you have spent a couple hundred years... Not having death stick, by the way, this reminds me of a Jen Lyons book. Um, <laughs> when death just doesn't really stick to you, you stop kind of worrying about plans. Because what's the worst that can happen? You die, well, five minutes later you get better. Um, so you can, you have the ability to just like throw yourself into stuff. And when that doesn't work, you throw yourself at it again. And then you throw yourself at it again. And eventually you beat the door down with your body. <laughs> but the thing that got to me was that they are super depressed that they haven't completed the saving yet yes the world still is not the world is getting worse yeah and it's like my dears the world is getting easier to see where it's bad Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um i understand that this sucks but unfortunately you can't save the world and be done which i thought was an interesting thing for them to kind of have as a yep. side message but also yep. they are a group of hammers who have been <laughs> running around <laughs> looking, for, looking nail. for nails for the past couple of thousand <laughs> years yeah and at no point did they sit down and think we could form a charitable institution we oh, could God, take over so a money. small government no no right? let's just keep killing people 
that will uh, save the let's world keep killing individuals. It is it is in the words of Good Omens, rather 14th century thinking. <laughs> well, exactly. this is this is Haster and Leaguer shit, rather than like Crowley sort of thinking. You're not wrong. Andromache the Scythian, Andy to her friends, um, yep. is a. I'm about to say balaclava fancier. No, baklava, <laughs> baklava. <laughs> it's a baklava fancier from ancient Scythia. Like, and he's about what three or four millennia old. We don't actually know because she didn't really have a way to count. Yeah, mm. a long ass time. A long ass time. And so, like, if you look at the percentage of her experience that was pre-14th century, that's like eighty percent. Yeah. I mean, we're not surprised that they're 14th century thinkers because for the, except for like the last, say, hundred years, um, even like 50 years, like the last 50 years is when it really started getting easy to use technology. This is like you, last week someone came up with a cell phone and I'm surprised that they're able to use technology as well as they are instead of being all being grandpas about it. But okay, let's talk a little bit then about the ubiquity of cell phones. There's a great scene very early on that makes the stakes very clear where Andy is checking into a hotel to meet up with her boys after four years, like a year apart. And a group of ditzy tourists take a photo that has Andy in it. And Andy very quickly uses social engineering to get the phone off them to take a better photo and deletes the picture of her face. Because one of the big um, conflicts in most modern immortal tales is secrecy, mm-hmm. right? How do you maintain your lack of identity in the modern systems so that you don't get captured, tied to a table, and milked for immortality juice? Yeah. If if that even exists. Milked for what is happening to you that is letting you be mm-hmm. immortal, and can we sell it? And I suppose that does answer slightly the question of why they haven't made larger level plans. Yeah. Right. Because they need to not be noticed. Right. And you can't, you know, go for a career in politics where you're going to have lots and lots of pictures taken of you and make, become very, very noticeable. Mm-hmm. I feel like Machiavelli will have had a book about this. Yes, Like, probably. you can be the power behind the throne, bunnies. <laughs> but you need to not be noticed. And that's why, yeah, like, I, I keep thinking about this and I wish that Nile had not been a soldier. Because mm. I feel like they had an opportunity to say, this is now a new type of person. Like we can, we can become a slightly different type of tool without, we can, you know, and she has the journey of, oh my God, you guys just kill people. That's all you do. I don't want to be part of this. And then she comes back and gets on board and they kill a lot of people because it's an action movie and and that's what needs to happen. But that would have been a more interesting journey if she was someone who was not a career soldier. Mm, But I think mm. that that's, that you are exactly right, Freya. It's, there could be a more interesting story, but it wouldn't be this genre. No. You no, know, this is this is very honestly, much a punching people kind of genre. It's a comic right. book because we come mm. to a Charlize Theron gives a shout out to the lesbians movie to see Charlize Theron punch people and shoot guns in a really cool way. <laughs> like that's what we're here for, right? Well, that's let's true. take a brief. Alex, how yes. much fun did you have in that prison van? With the Italian and the Muslim. The high romance? The high yes. romance scene, you mean, Macy? Joe and Nikki. Oh my god, the high romance. This movie was so queer. I mean, I kind of had been spoiled for how queer this movie was by Tumblr, just going into it, so I knew to expect it, but I did not have, like, the context for it. Um, and I, 
I love those two characters because the others are, I mean, they're all so, so tired, but Joe and Nikki are slightly less tired because they have a purpose, at least part of a purpose, and part of their purpose is each other because they became immortals at the exact same time. They killed each other. uh, And then (laughs) they came back. In the Crusades. They killed each other in the Crusades. They were on opposite side of the Crusades. It's a whole Romeo and Juliet (laughs) high romance thing. And they killed each other and came back and then presumably killed each other other and came back several dozen times more. uh, And then fell in love and kissed. Um, (laughs) And just like the way where you see every time that Nikki is hurt or dead, and you see which Joe being, a lot. which happens a lot, uh, and you see Joe being like so concerned and like reaching out to him. It's not even like they don't even really make a big thing about it. They don't draw your attention to it. It's just like in Joe's hands, the ways that the he like language. the body language, right? Um, about like how genuinely scared he is that maybe this is the time that Nikki doesn't come back and that mm. would destroy his entire world because. Uh, one of the things that they are dealing with is that they've discovered, they've seen this happen once before, that it is possible for your resurrections to run out. Yeah. Um, And so they come back every time, except maybe... Yeah. Maybe this time. Andromache a long, long time ago had a person not come back, and it's honestly probably traumatized her and so then she told them about it and probably traumatized them quite solidly too. Oh yeah. And at that point... at that point, it would have been just Andromache, uh, and Joe, and Nikki. Mm. No, because Quinn would have been already gone by that point. Uh, Quinn and Andromache together were the ones who were there when the boy died. No, I know. But after after she right. lost Quinn, right, it would have been her alone and then Joe and Nikki. And so she's sitting there telling them, like, you have to savor every moment that you have together because you don't know when one of you will be just gone. Well, I didn't get as much of that being a thing that was like actively emphasized. I didn't get a feeling no. that they talked about their emotions enough. Oh no, the, I don't think that's I don't the think she sat them down and had write. a conversation. I think at some point Joe and Nikki looked at her and were like, "This is what could turn into either. This is what either of yeah. us could turn into if we lost the other one first. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. on the subject of the type of immortals they are, which is the you can die and get hurt and you'll feel it, but you'll immediately resurrect. Somebody put the unable, the unbearable lightness of not being able to fucking die and then followed it up (laughs) extremely rudely. And I will make you explain yourself to our darling listeners because I'm not gonna. Freya, Freya did it. The unbearable darkness of not being able to die. Open brackets, oh, Quinn. Uh, this dot, 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 dot. Well, yes, the whole Quinn situation was extremely fucked up. This yep. idea that you can't die, but you are constantly dying. And yeah. the only thing you have time to do in between coming back to life is die again. Yep. God. Yeah. It's just, Nightmarish. Yeah, complete nightmare fuel. <sighs> and but it, okay. Go on. <laughs> I was just going to say, no, it, like, it, it does something as nightmarish as it is. It is doing something interesting with the idea of immortality and invulnerability. Hmm. On a really ghastly level. Yeah. I'm just mad that we didn't get to have any happy FF pairing between Andy and Quinn. And instead we just got strong hints that those two were an item. And then a torturous eternity. I feel like they're leading us up into a a sequel though. Like with that with that particular There's ending, no it really need felt for like them not to bait. have given them a kiss in any of the flashbacks. Yeah. Yeah. And they this could is have one done of- that. Yeah, it's true. I think it's more to do with what was shown than what wasn't shown because this there's nothing wrong with the fact that Quinn died 
quotation marks, mm-hmm. because this is a story that is an excellent illustration of the fact that you can bury some gays if you want to, as long as you have plenty of gays in the story. And also as long as you have um, creepy resurrection powers. Yeah, yeah. but, but this, is also, like, gaze. this is kind of a wish fulfillment of unbearable gays. <laughs> <laughs> That's a mood. Necromancy is inherently queer. I owe that essay to somebody. Yeah, um, I would, okay, who put the question about baklava? Because I want to answer that question. <laughs> okay. What, with an eternity to become an expert in anything you want, what would you choose to study? Well, Cyber see, is a, Yeah, I was going to say, I think Alex has started. <laughs> Alex <laughs> has already started. Freya, my darling medical Freya, what would you want to study? Not medicine. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm, just, I'm thinking about this from a strategic point of view. Oh, God. And I'm like, if I was <laughs> okay. one of, If I was... This kind of immortal who had to have that balance between legacy and secrecy. I think I would concentrate. I'm sorry, what did you say? Slytherin Freya, I misspoke. I should not have called you medical Freya. I'm sorry. Continue, oh Slytherinist of Freyas. I would basically concentrate on languages so that you could leave any, so that you could move countries every 10 years. If yeah. you need that would to. be my that would be my second choice after after uh, fiber mm. yes my nice darlings way. my dears my dolls we're three quarters of the way through shall we consider but, having some general discussion we could do that sure. but macy you have to tell us what you would become an expert in very quickly oh, i yeah. don't fucking know math history i would learn cool. all the history okay so i could manipulate the future because that's what history is for so I'm interested in talking about immortality narratives in immortal beings and alienation Right. Is this something we always see with immortals? Um, I think there was a song from Hercules, right, that talks about not feeling like he belongs where he lives. And I think that's something we've mm-hmm. seen in all of these tent poles, right? Yeah, and the old guard is about in order to get by and find meaning, you have to have other people like you. But mm. there is a, a lot of this, a time this is about one person feeling alone and wanting to fit in. And right. like Alex, you mentioned earlier good omens like good omens is about two immortal beings living through australia through the history of the world Mm -hmm. right and it's bearable because they have each other right but they are separate even though they enjoy the assimilation to one extent or another they're still always apart there's a wall between them and mortal humans. There are things that humans experience that these beings, whether they are angels and demons or immortals or demigods or vampires or aliens, there's something different. And that's like a fundamental thesis of any superhero story. Ah, like, okay. Okay, Freya. Yeah, because if you think about it, like most superheroes are presented in this light. I'm Hmm. not quite the same as everybody else. I am burdened by the responsibility of my power. And the Hmm. reason I thought of this initially is because the TV show Smallville has (laughs) a lot in common with Disney's Hercules. Oh, that fucking 25-year-old teenage farm boy. Teenage farm boy. (laughs) He's so buff and ginormous. I'm just like, no. Yeah, but it's about saying, if you had this power, what purpose would you turn yourself to? Sure. How would you relate to the normal people? Do they have a surplus of agency? Is this what we're talking about with Yaskia as well, a little bit? Like, when you have a lot of power, you can choose to be nice with it, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. That's what superheroes are dealing with, right? Like, a superhero and a supervillain, there's very little difference. Right, except morality. And, like, you are, like, yes, like you say with, with Yaskia, like, the only reason that he's not ruling the whole fucking world is because he doesn't want to. 
uh, right. and he wants to do more good with his powers than evil. Hmm. And with Domain, there's like him wanting to have consent to practice the medicine, right? There is a member of their mercenary group who is dying of a festering wound and won't let Domain practice his quote-unquote sorcery, hmm. yep. i.e. antibiotics. And I mean, this is very sad and Domain does not want this guy to die, but he's not going he's to not force going to... it on him. Mm. Yeah. And one of the points that differs across all these stories is at which point does the immortal, if at all, have the desire to be normal? When mm. do they want to be like everybody else, if at all? Because I think the old guard is showing people who had unexpected immortality Right. Have come to terms with it, um, have discovered it's useful. Right, right, right. Um, some people still want to hold on to it, but Andy has reached the point of basically wanting to be able wanting to die. Wanting to die, yeah. Yeah, it's the Little Mermaid. Um, I want to be where the people are. Yeah, because going you, back to Disney. Because <laughs> you want to be able to connect with people on their own level and you feel that your power and your immortality sets you apart. And sense. it's Yaskia concealing himself and kind of mourning when, um, fuck, name, sorceress, Yennefer. Uh, Yennefer. Yennefer. And it's kind of mourning when Yennefer figures out that he is the great sorcerer dandelion because, oh no, he can't just be a person now. Yeah. Hmm. And somebody has put vampire romance under this section, which I think is very appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but like, how do you live amongst humans and not see them after a while as children? Yeah. yeah. And, and then want back to, to fuck like, them? And then want to Question fuck them? Mark? I mean, it goes back to like what we were saying earlier about like feeling superior over them. Right. And maybe that's a thing that develops over time. Um, like, does your maturity level as you grow keep growing with you? And once you are 200 years old, once you are 300 years old, does your maturity level keep growing? Or does it sort of stop at whatever age you were when you were turned into a vampire? And I will require all of us to <laughs> pronounce it as a vampire. You require away. I don't know how successful you're going to be. Good luck with that, Alex. Good luck. Um, because... Let's move on to talking about craft briefly then yeah so thinking as writers as creators what are these kind of characters useful for in a narrative what would we use long-lived or immortal or demigod characters for scope i also like want to large... break characters though you know yeah yeah you can break a world on an immortal character that's what you're saying with scope right you can break a world on them but you can well, also I'm break talking, them I'm... I'm talking about scope as in, like, the grand arch of history. Like, right. someone who has seen everything and who has, like, a global kind of perspective on the situation. Hmm. So you're, you're doing a multi-generational family saga with one person. Yeah. This is reminding me so much of Octavia Butler's Wild Seed. Mm. Oh, yes. Right? Tell us. Because um, this is about the, the main character of that book is exactly that. It's a multi-generational... Um, they they run a breeding program essentially to try to create more people with magical talents so that the other main character can eat them? Question mark. Hmm. It's fun. Um, and these characters over the generations basically come to think of themselves as gods. Mm -hmm. Um, but yes, okay, arc of history. That's one reason. Um, well, the desire for immortality is very often presented as an end goal of a villain. Sure. In fiction. Like I'm thinking of uh, a memory called Empire 
And yeah, 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 obviously yeah. in the old guard as well, the villain is looking for the secret to immortality. And by having a character who's got it, you're saying, yes, number one, you're saying, yes, this is something that can be achieved. So you're giving something that can be fought for either by good people or by villains. And number two, you're saying, here's the result of this particular thought experiment. And here are all the ways why this thing you want you maybe is want not something it. that you want after all. But I'm actually having a sudden thought, Freya, which is I think that in my mind, please correct me, all of the purely sympathetic hero type characters had it thrust upon them. They did not choose it. Yes. Yeah. None of them achieved it, even the vampires. Yeah, and I think that's a way of saying if you are the kind of person who is hungry for that much power, then Mm. you'll be corrupted by it very quickly. Mm -hmm. The only person yeah, who can agree. survive this power and responsibility uncorrupted is the kind of person who would never have thought to ask for it for themselves in the first place. And that's a very common narrative trope. Mm. Although I think that like, you can't prove that you're not accidentally giving it to someone who would have sought it if they known it existed. But that's just, you know, narrative tools. Yeah. Um, mm. That's so- a really interesting story then. Somebody who starts off kind of grey villain, goes in search of mortali- immortality, finds it, and then is slowly it. transformed into somebody who cares about other people by the nature of observing history. Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. actually living That would wrong. be... Freya, I want it. You want it? I want it, Freya. Please I'll put it on my list, us. Macy. <laughs> Freya. Thank God. Thank God Freya puts it on her list so I don't have to. Um, but yeah, like what happens after you achieve this thing and who is who do you become 200 years from now? Yeah, does it mm. give you... Does it give you cynicism or does it give you empathy? Yeah. Mm, Living that I long like that. Among That's people. good meaty question. That's a good thesis statement for your upcoming novel, Freya. Oh, yes. me now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just drop everything else. <laughs> Tell Diana. Like, it's Freya, go, it's go email your you agent. You can do right it now. ten mm. years from now because you're going to live forever. Well, that's one of the Correct. things that I find interesting with these long live stories is about do you show somebody who is static or do you show gradual change? Mm. And that's the point of good omens, is that you have people who are people, Crowley and Azira Fail, who are created as fairly two-dimensional beings to serve a particular purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. And the point of Good Omens is showing how they change over spending that much time exposed to humans and exposed to each other. And I think that's the interest of having a very long-lived person and somebody who lives much longer than any human has ever lived is the thought experiment of how far can you change? Would you eventually become unrecognizable to how you began? And I think in Good Omens, particularly in the TV adaptation, uh, the thesis statement is very clear that it is humanity that is letting them change and evolve um, Mm -hmm. in comparison to the demons and angels that stayed behind and separate who are not. Mm. They're extremely, yeah, the the other demons and angels are extremely static. And I think that Crowley and Aziraphale like began that way as well, because it takes them thousands of years to change and like they have arguments uh, like fun friendly arguments that last hundreds of years Mm. but they learn to appreciate small pleasures yeah which is a very human thing because being human is about knowing that you will die Mm -hmm. and therefore trying to find as much meaning and fulfillment and pleasure out of brief things well yeah pleasure is about you know enjoying the thing that will not be here in another moment Mm. yeah Um, it's very about being transient not being static and i think for me that's why it is important that andy is so delighted by the baklava 
Mm. Yeah. That's what that's about. Do you think we tell each other stories about immortality to make ourselves Treasure. appreciate our mortality? Maybe. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Oh, 1000%. Yes. And I think anything that is truly 100% immortal is unchanging. It's the fact that even these immortals have a degree of mortality to them. They can die. They can lose that gives them the space to change that gives them things that they can fear yeah Um, yeah like we we as mortal humans are so afraid of death but the these stories about immortals are really asking wouldn't it be so much worse if you as an individual did not have your death and i think that might that leads me to the next craft question i had which was you know is it intrinsic to this kind of genre of immortal beings that they're either alone or they only have a small group of fellows like is it the contrast with mortals that matters i think from a craft perspective yes because i think that it's the contrast that gives us a conversation to have i think that it's harder to have a conversation in a text if you don't have contrast sort of like how it's harder to paint a painting if you don't have contrasting colors to to show the shapes and the highlights i'm trying to think of any stories especially science fiction that are about Mm. a whole race or a whole type of being who are fundamentally immortal and i'm sure there must be some out there but i don't read as much science fiction so i'm having trouble thinking of any examples you know what i'm thinking of i'm thinking and i'm only halfway through this book of Max Gladstone's The Empress of Forever, where in the future land that she goes to, there are a large number of quote-unquote people who are basically uploaded into a kind of supergalactic cloud. Mm. And then they are sort of immortal because they aren't physical. I mean, that's kind of what Memory Called Empire does a little bit as well. And um, the and Yunha Lee's books... The, the type of immortality that is to do with um, preserving consciousness and personality while not I... preserving body. I mean, I will give you Jadao, but I will not give you the memory implants no, because that's it's with not got knowledge. agency. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I was also thinking whether or not... I think a lot of the times we see these immortals being secret, and I think it's because of what you guys were saying earlier, wherein... If people knew it was possible, they would try to do it. Right? Yes. And that's probably bad. And also, like, with an increasingly modern setting, it becomes increasingly easy to track people. So you have to be more secretive because otherwise it's, if you slip up, you can't just, like, disappear into, like, the middle of nowhere because there is no more middle of nowhere. Mm. But this made me think instead of the totally different approach um, with MXTX and the scum villain self-saving system, mm-hmm. right? Wherein, and I think this is a fairly standard um, Shansha trope, where immortal cultivators, everybody knows that you could cultivate to immortality. It's if you just, just really hard, hard to do. Hmm. Yeah, If you just have enough sex with the right person. Correct. Oh, <laughs> oh dual cultivation. <laughs> Hi, Dual cultivating to immortality. Correct. Yes. It's, that's true. I like that is, that is a fantasy magical system that is having immortality as the end goal and is shown as something that could be achieved. 
Yeah, right, but, but you got to work hard almost at it. by pure working hard, yes, but also by purifying yourself and becoming virtuous. Mm, okay, so that's not having it thrust upon you, but it's attempting to safeguard the active seeking of immortality by making it something you can right. only achieve if you are virtuous and pure and responsible enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that's a super interesting different kind of look at that. Hmm. Yeah, we have pretty much hit an hour. Did anybody want to mention anything? I can see the words Keanu Reeves corner. Oh my <laughs> <Yeah>. gosh. <laughs> well, of, that I, wasn't mine. <laughs> Keanu, Ke- Keanu Reeves is definitely not an immortal and there is definitely not photographic evidence of him in the 1800s. <clears throat> but I did want <laughs> to ask there? us briefly, mm-hmm. because we've not dug as deep into this this episode, is immortality something that fanfic talks about? For example, we have vampire AUs in a mm-hmm. lot of fandoms, right? Mm-hmm. Is yep. that about immortality? I think that's I about think... sexy neck biting, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that. But <laughs> I don't think it's just it's about that. the sexy I think it's neck about biting. The angst. No, no, no. It's it's uh, it's about the sexy neck biting and it is also about finding a person and raising them who is like less powerful than you and like raising them up to your level so that you can be like ethically in love with them. But I think it's also about the angst potential of I'm going to live forever and my beloved isn't. Unless you kill them and make them a vampire. Unless you make them a vampire. Yes. (laughs) I know there are a lot of various AUs in which various characters are immortal, but I, I think you're right. I think, especially if you're looking to explore relationships, it's less fun if they are both immortal, unless you're doing something very specific with either the morality of the characters or what they would do if you know, well, whether they would become world experts on Baklava or whether they would do <laughs> well, something else. I think that I've seen some fanfic that also tackles like the loneliness of immortality, yes. where you are looking for like the person who can share this with you, who can like be part of your purpose in continuing on in this hmm. dark, angsty, emo <laughs> night that goes on forever. And Joe and Nikki are a very fanfic kind of Right. Yeah. It's this ultimate fantasy of you find the person, you just enemies to lovers, to immortal <laughs> lovers. Um, and the one true enemies to The lovers. one true enemies. And the only really satisfying end to their story will be that they both become together. mortal on the same day yeah. and die together. Aww. That's cute. Isn't it adorable? I mean, oh, that's really death. cute. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, death. <laughs> Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. We had a heap of fun with this one, even if we were recording it hot on the heels of the first ever virtual Worldcon. I would apologise for the silly bits, but we all know you're listening to this podcast at least 60% for the aforementioned silly bits. And I did want to say a special thank you to all of our listeners who came to support us at Worldcon panels, readings or cafe clutches. We're sorry we couldn't see you all in person or record an episode live, but it was still great to be in contact in whatever way our current coronavirus hellscape allows. Speaking of spending too much time on the internet, for the next episode, two weeks hence on September 9th, we are bowing to our destiny as millennials as we bring you episode number 69. Yeah, nice. We are, of course, and to my endless delight, going to be talking about portrayals of sex in fiction. So if you've got any friends, with or without benefits, who'd be interested in listening to that, maybe give them a heads up. 
one of our tent poles will be the Merlin fanfic favorite by, you guessed it, Astolat. Questions, comments, breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail.com, and we're at serpentcast on Twitter and Tumblr. Or you can come and join the fan Discord community, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you do enjoy the podcast and would like to support us further, you can also find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast. Or please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to reach new listeners. And by the way, you're a total blessing. <laughs>